Hi, and welcome to the Inside Out Security Show. I'm your host, Cindy Ng, and today I'm joined by security experts, Killian Engler, Chris Kaiser, and Mike Buckby. Hey, guys. Hey, Cindy. Hey, Cindy. So it's October, and it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and today we're going to discuss what's thwarting our efforts in making security great again. And a few weeks ago, John Carlin, Assistant Attorney General for National Security, talked to Charlie Rose about cyber espionage, attack attribution, and insider threats. And we don't often get to see data security and cyber attacks discussed in such detail in the mainstream media. And you all watched the interview. There was a quote that was really poignant. It's, quote, defending against those you trust is going to be the hardest challenge. And it's also something that private business and industries need to be concerned about. This means being able to continuously monitor changes in behavior that might be a tip that someone is an insider and also building your systems in such a way that one individual doesn't have access to everything. So your thoughts about this quote or to the interview itself? I would say that's exactly correct but I think it goes even a little further in that you're defending not only against people that might be a, like a deliberate insider threat that they're you know, trying to mess stuff up, but also just human nature, what it is. You know, there's so many data breaches that are caused by you know, negligence or just not thinking or by accident. And you also need to both you know, defend against that, but also protect your users. And just have always found that that's a much more productive way to approach it especially if you're talking to, you know, a big enterprise and they have lots of professionals working inside. It's very hard to say to them, like, oh, I think you're all, you know, horrible threats. Like they don't take that so well. But if you say, oh, this protects you from losing your job on accident, they get very excited about that. So, Yeah, I I can definitely agree with that, that sentiment. I think to expand upon it, not only should we be concerned with people who are intentionally know, causing mishap in someone's environment or, you know, making mistakes, there's always the possibility of a, you know, legitimate credentials or someone's legitimate account being compromised. And in that sense, you know, you don't want to obviously tell people that it's, you know, something that's your fault, but of course you can also make the point, this is going to protect you from people that you probably have no idea are are trying to attack you in the first place. You know, your account could be used. It's not you. It's not that, that it's you did something. It's that someone else found their way to get your credentials and then it's being done under your name. Of course, you want to protect against that as well as best you can. I find it particularly interesting that this is being brought up on a national stage as well, too, that it's become such an issue that somebody from the government is actually going on television saying, hey, listen, this is something that we need to be aware of. This is something that's concerning to the nation. It tells me that there's a turning point, I think, in security where this is something that we need to have a frank discussion with the public about. And it's really important to me personally, because I've had my credit card and everything else stolen a number of times that this is happening. And once you've been interviewed by Charlie Rose, you've hit it big time. That's my next stop after this. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, I think a really great thing is that obviously we don't want to see people get hacked. We don't want to see all these things come out, but I think it really has raised the profile of this to a great degree. There were even, I saw articles about like, oh, well, this political campaign doesn't have like two-factor auth on their email server. And that like, look how bad that makes them look. And just that thought that there's a headline that says two-factor auth in like a general magazine. And, you know, it's calling out as, you know, like, that's good progress. And so now more people know about that. They know what indicates just that the concepts and the awareness of it are really, really expanding. I appreciate the expansion of security. And I appreciate that it's also an attack tool in this uh, crazy time that we're living in. 
I'm and looking for silver linings. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> a huge part of Cyber Awareness Month is preventing identity theft, which happens a lot online when we're shopping. And so there was a Dutch researcher that found around 6,000 shops, most of them built with Magento. Hackers, they went into your Magento files and they place a swiper code that when you're making a transaction happen, it intercepts and it steals your payment card information during the transaction and it's stored on an image file. And so the thing is, is that the image file, it doesn't really contain a real image and no one really suspects an image file to contain malware. And I think this happened to one of the Republican Senate committee donation sites too, and running an e-commerce site, it's a lot of work and you have so many things to look out for. And words really don't give it justice to the kind of work you need to do to, to run a site. Your response to what's happening? Sure. I'll jump right into this one because I read this and it immediately jumped out to me as reminiscent of a lot of the physical skimmer attacks you might find on say an ATM or like a card reader at a shop that you go to. So it's echoing the kind of stuff we've seen in the past in brick and mortar locations, but applying that same concept of a, a skimmer to data, to you know the non-physical world, which I thought was fascinating as it does seem like the next logical step in that kind of attack. People are more aware of things like physical skimmers. They're, some are easier to see, some are not. With this, I can't imagine how at first glance, anyone would notice even the slightest difference, especially if they're using steganography like they you know, discussed in the article. It's scary stuff, but it's fascinating stuff too. Chris, that's a great point you bring up. I was really fascinated by the use of steganography. It's always been kind of an interesting concept that I've played with just for fun, but to see this used as an exfiltration method is, it's terrifying and it's also brilliant. Uh, having the website serve up the information you're stealing publicly, hidden in image files, it's such a great way to get data out. It's again, it's terrible, but it's, I mean, you got to kind of give them credit. That's an ingenious way to do it. It's almost like some of the ones that you can exfiltrate data, like over DNS requests, embedding it in there. It's something that you, I can't say can't, but you can't protect against because you're serving up the images on your website so people can buy the products, but you're also inadvertently giving out the sensitive information that you're trying to protect. So it's definitely very interesting. Yeah, I was going to, I agree with both of those points. I think it is, you know, fiendishly clever and uh, the same thing that uh, relating this to a physical skimmer is a great way to sell the issues within an organization as well as, you know, talk to other people about it. We mentioned Magento a few times, you know, Magento's base is PHP and still a lot of times it's deployed in sort of FTP files up to a a server instead of rolling them out with code releases and things. And I see that as sort of the maturation of the deployment systems for code. And something I think that we don't normally think about source control as a security mechanism. Like we don't talk about it as a security tool, but for something like this, it absolutely would be. And so after they steal your credit card information, they could impersonate you or sell the information in the dark web. And we talk about the dark web all the time, and I'm thinking these guys are in a dungeon somewhere, and in reality, they're in these underground forums, and they offer a whole bunch of services. And I found this really cool site that showed all the different forums where you can get stolen credentials, hacked databases, PII information. And then to join these forums, you have to get someone to vouch for you. 
And then some you have to pay to get in. And the data integrity isn't even all that great. What do you think, guys? I wonder how you build street cred to have someone vouch for you to, to join the forums. I think you have to take a hard drive into a back alley and beat it with a hammer. And then, you know, people are like, oh, this guy's for serious. And so then they let you in. <laughs> Just got to recreate the scene from Office Space with the printer. Yeah, so that would do it. I mean, I'd let you into my underground club with that. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> like a gang. Yeah, like an initiation rite of some kind. Mm-hmm. Worst gang ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's interesting is like right now, we had seen before things like Silk Road that relied on digital cryptocurrencies and things like that, but there's still more or less a traditional marketplace that you could still think about them as it's like eBay, but you pay for everything with Bitcoin. And I think what we're seeing now is the rise of things that are much more sophisticated and like designed from the ground up to be used for this kind of stuff. Like there's a real good example called Open Bazaar, which is a storefront that wraps up a lot of these things, that it's peer-to-peer, that it's based on cryptocurrencies, that other examples are you can use it for like selling your artwork, but all the things that I see online are actually like people trying to sell, you know, illegal substances. So... I think it's important to look at these things to see where it's going and what can be done to start preparing for it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really interesting. And if you think about it from an economics perspective, if you look at kind of how the internet evolved with the commerce sites with eBay is a great example, these illicit underground sites are evolving to fill a need. Uh, People are not going to stop stealing data and they need a better way to monetize it. So, you know, why not be enterprising and release a product or, you know, a membership fee? to trade this, you know, just like the evil eBay that it is. So it makes sense from a business perspective. You know, if someone is going to do it, if they're going to facilitate it, you know, why not take a slice off of that profit? It's not moral, but it's a way to make money. (laughs) Yeah. I'm surprised you can make a whole lot. There is one site that had 35,000 users and let's assume half of that. If it's null, it's still quite a bit. You're in the thousands. I'm, I'm just really shocked. The other thing that's interesting, too, that Mike brought up and Cindy brought up in the beginning is that much like an organization having to kind of trust but verify their employees, these underground marketplaces also have that same concept where they need to verify the identity somehow of these people and have a reputation system so they can trust them to perform these operations. So it's it's kind of a weird, dark parallel, I think, to what you're, we're seeing in the you know legitimate business world. I think there's a an interesting parallel with bug bounties with this, where an external threat could find a security vulnerability, exploit it, get access to data, or if they're a security researcher, they could find the issue and then report it and get a bug bounty. And there's a real economic push and pull with this about what is the right thing to do and how do you get compensated. And occasionally you see these things where some security researcher finds a bug and it saves the company millions of dollars and they get a t-shirt and then everyone sort of gets angry about the weird like split there. Like, hey, this person really helped you out, but they get this sort of small thing. I feel kind of the same way with a lot of these black markets that are selling data. At a certain level, you would hope that if it's a big vulnerability that the vendors would actually be in there searching for their own data, trying to see like, I'll, I'll just buy it up and then invalidate it and sort of take care of this on behalf of my customers. So as probably a lot of people experience, I would imagine a lot of our listeners and most people have probably been a victim of a breach. When they get that free credit monitoring service, a lot of them offer a very similar 
service where they'll go out and scan the dark web or try to at least to see if there are instances of your information out there to tell you if you're potentially at risk. So that's another interesting feature of this too. So you can sell the protection back after your data has been lost. Yeah. And I guess there's like, have I been pwned, which, you know, is run by Troy Hunt, who's done a lot of courses for us and things like there's a part of that where you can go in and put your uh, business uh, domain in, and then you'll get notified if the data of your, if your user shows up. It's another way of trying to deal with these situations. So we're in the things like a hacker segment. It's a good way for us to explore different exploits and vulnerabilities And this week, we're going to talk about DDoS attackers. Apparently, it's on the rise up to 125% in 2016 and kind of remind me, I mean, the numbers aren't as high as, say, like ransomware, but I just remember creating the charts. And Mike, you found a talk called uh, Are DDoS Attacks a Threat to the Decentralized Internet? Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about that talk? Sure. So... DDoS attacks are interesting to me and from a security perspective because they wrap up a lot of things at a lot of different layers of what we're interested in. So most of the time, these are attackers who are trying to blackmail a company. So they'll find a website and then they will send a huge amount of traffic to it and attempt to overwhelm it so no legitimate people can visit the website. Most of the time, this is to blackmail people. In this particular case, it was an attack on a website, Krebs on Security, um, Brian Krebs. Security author writes a lot about these things, and so he's been a target of uh, a lot of attacks, both uh, DDoS attacks online, but also he's had the SWAT team called on him a number of times because people have said like, oh, he's getting a heroin shipment today, and so the SWAT team shows up. Multiple times the SWAT team has shown up at his house. So this is in the spectrum of that. And uh, where it starts is usually with the clients. And so hackers will break into the security of IoT devices, um, unpatched computers. And then from all of that, they'll use those to send a huge amount of traffic through the internet to these sites. And it's more than just like making a lot of requests. It actually gets into some of the security aspects of how internet traffic is routed, where in a lot of cases, it's very difficult to tell within the big uh, switches between the ISPs where exactly the traffic's coming from. And so part of the talk was even about that, that you'd be able to sort that out better. So for, for all those reasons, I found it really interesting and something to think about, that it's this whole ecosystem of the internet. It's not just your site you almost have to be worried about. So. And tools for sysadmins. There is a tool called Mosh. Uh, Can we cover the problem it solves, why it's helpful, and the ways people can use it? Sure. So anytime you're doing remote administration, in particular uh, Linux systems, what you normally use is SSH. And what this does is it's very similar to SSL, which a lot of people are maybe more familiar with, the HTTPS, when you visit a website and it has a green lock. Very similarly, SSH is like that for sending commands back and forth to Linux systems and then to get the response. What happens a lot of times, say you're like me and you had a hurricane come through a while back, and ever since then, your internet has been very intermittent, and it's been a real issue, and as you're SSHing into things, if your connection gets disrupted, your session gets disrupted, and you have to SSH back in and figure out where you're at, and you have all these issues. So what Mosh does is it tries to work around some of that, where the connections are still secure, but they don't drop, and you're able to do more and more solid administration, even from things like mobile phones. 
So it's very useful for all of that. And I know most of our listeners are, you know, Windows sysadmins, but with the recent like Microsoft and Linux, you run a Linux subsystem, you'd be able to SSH into Windows systems and administer them similarly. So very cool and useful tool. Great. Thanks, Mike. And any last thoughts before we round out the show and into next month where it's a <laughs> election season when it's finally, hopefully over? <laughs> I, I was just going to agree. Finally, hopefully over sounds like sweet music. So that sounds great. To me, so. <laughs> well, between here and there, I'm sure we'll see a couple more breaches and a couple more uh, data dumps. Okay. How I, many, I expect nothing how else. many <laughs> breaches and data dumps between now and the election? Oh, what are we doing like an over under here? We're going to take odds. If yes. our listeners want to message us and uh, tell us what they think. I think there'll be two. I think there'll be two significant political revelations that come from some form of security issue. So. Now, is that taking into account that they cut off Julian Assange's uh, internet access at the embassy? Six, six breaches is what I said. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. So one, I mean, I think one two. a week. That's essentially yeah, yeah. about that. Because we can only handle one big news a week. I think everyone's it's like decision fatigue, but like news fatigue. Yeah, well, probably information overload is probably what I would call it at this point. It's yeah. just this constant noise of of new things coming in. It's hard to keep track of everything. It's a DDoS attack on our uh, senses. So yeah, that's a good way to put it. Actually, it's easy. I, I think it's kind of like just, you know, the, the flood of information, not that it's shutting us down completely, but we're probably missing a good amount of what's actually coming in. I just, there's things that I'll probably have completely blown past without intending to, because I'm distracted by five things over there and 10 things over there. And I agree. It's, it's too much information, too much uh, stimulus at this point. It will be nice to have a break from that. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Killian, Chris, Mike, all our listeners for joining us today. If you want to follow us on Twitter and see what we're doing, you can find us at infosec underscore podcast. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can go to iTunes and search for the Inside Out Security Show. And please leave us a rating. It'll help people find our show. Thanks, and we'll meet up again next week.